Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It's a new year. We're kicking it off as we kick off every week with a great show, but, you know, it's extra special because it's the new year. I'll also put in my plug for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. So if you have time and can go in there and give us a good review, I'd appreciate it. Um, Today's show, we're going to be talking about new year, new start on your saving for college plan. Um, And also we're going to go into how admissions officers read files. So if you've ever wondered what the heck happens after A student presses submit, well, we're going to shed some light on that process. But before we get to that, um, we're going to talk about something that I know is on the minds of all parents of current college students, because I'm the parent of a current college student, certainly on my mind, I'm pretty sure it's on everybody else's mind. And it's on the mind, or it certainly should be of most college students. And that is, what am I doing after I graduate? And um, what can I be doing in college to make sure that I'm ready to get a job when I graduate? And joining me uh, for this conversation is Michael Sherman, who happens to be the former head of global recruitment for Bank of America. So he knows a thing or two about what makes someone an attractive job applicant, uh, and he's the current owner of Graduate to Employment, um, helping students find their paths to their their first job and ideally their career. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Beth. I appreciate you having me. And I, too, am the uh, parent of a college student, so I assure you it's on my mind as well. Exactly. And fun fact, Michael's son and my son are actually at the same college, which is fun. So Miami University in Ohio. All right. Well, so we've just discussed the goal is get a job when you graduate. Um, And with that in mind, what is the first thing you recommend students do when they arrive on campus, whether it's freshman year or if they have if they're just starting senior year and they haven't done anything senior year, but ideally early on? Ideally before senior year. And I think the answer to your question is a myriad of things. I think you have to as a student you have to position yourself to be strategic about your transition off of campus using companies like you guys and partners like you guys um, folks that are watching us or listening to us today have been strategic on their transition into campus making mm-hmm. sure they selected the right school and i think you have to use the same approach as you uh, think about your transition off of campus so to answer your question i think it's multifaceted um you have to have a resume a working resume an up-to-date resume same thing with a linkedin profile an up-to-date working linkedin profile uh ensuring that it has uh, you know, your objective, current senior at University of Ohio, Miami University in Ohio, seeking opportunity in a marketing field with a growing company, um, visiting career services to learn what schools are coming on to campus, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that you're up to date with Handshake. Um, Handshake is exclusively entry-level opportunities. And I hear from a lot of my clients that are fixated maybe on LinkedIn or some other sites, hey, I found the right job. It says entry-level. And when I go into the job description, they want six to 10 years of experience. <laughs> not so, entry-level, in other yeah, words. Not entry-level, yeah. <laughs> but you won't find that on Handshake. It's exclusive. Got it. So I think, I think there's a variety of things that a student needs to do to position him or herself uh, in a way that they're ready to approach a strategic job search. But that that would be my advice. Okay. So with that in mind, 
you mentioned, you know, that one quick thing on LinkedIn, you know, searching for a job and marketing right. in a in a company. What a, that's an example of a student who knows exactly what they want to do, um, or they think that they do. You know, what can those students be doing who have a very clear target in mind when they're in college? Right. So somebody who may be uh, listening to this today that knows that he or she wants to, you know, talk about marketing, uh, right. wants to work, you know, within marketing and wants to be based in uh, the southeast of the United States. Uh, they're, uh, to your point, they're very focused and very directed on that. Mm-hmm. My advice to that student would be find people that have done it. Find yeah. people that have done it and replicate what they've done. Reach out to he or she and say, hey, you know, you graduated two years ago. You graduated last year. I want to follow your path. How did you land that opportunity at Coca-Cola? How did you land that marketing opportunity at Coke? How did you land that marketing opportunity at Delta? I'm just picking companies that are based sure. in the Southeast. So, and then follow his or her advice. Ask for an introduction. Ask that person for an introduction to the recruiter at Delta, to the recruiter at Coca-Cola who helped them as they made that transition. So a warm introduction to a recruiter from a recruiter to somebody that had recently worked with that uh, out of that school is a good strategic way um, that you could follow. But to answer your question, I think find people that have done it and ask them how they did it. I want to be you in two years. What was your path? Because you're doing exactly what I want to be doing two years from now. Can you help me get there? So here's a question. How do you find those people? Is it because maybe you know those people because they were in your classes, but maybe they don't, you don't, or you're doing something that's not what you studied to do, but you've now decided you want to do. So how do you find those people? Right. I think, I think more often than not, you probably won't know those people. Maybe you will, but I think more often than not, you probably won't. So again, taking the step back to your first question of what you should be doing when you arrive on campus, I, I mentioned career services going into career services and asking if there's an alumni directory that you can access. Most schools will have an alumni directory. Search that alumni directory for folks that are working at those target companies and reach out to, to reach out to them. Conduct a LinkedIn search based on, there's a, I don't know how much you know about LinkedIn, but there's three quarters of a billion with a B. There's three quarters of a billion people profiles on LinkedIn. So, You've got to, yeah, it's a lot. And you've got to create a strategic approach because it's overwhelming. Right. So I would, if I were looking, and again, um, the student who knows what he or she wants to be doing, marketing in the Southeast, if I were looking and let's just say I was, you know, like our sons attending uh, my, you know, Miami University in Ohio, right. I would be conducting a LinkedIn search of selected companies that are based in the Southeast. Uh, with keywords of marketing, and I would toggle and check off Miami University. And then I would be I would be reaching out to alumni and never send a LinkedIn invitation without a note attached to it. Yes. So, you know, dear fellow alum of Miami, I hope to be an alum of Miami this right. May. Uh, you know, I, Coca-Cola is a, is a company that I'm very interested in. I see that you're working in marketing there. Would you welcome, I welcome an opportunity to learn from your experience. I hope you accept my invitation. I can tell you that 99 out of 100 people will accept that invitation. Right. And then following up on LinkedIn, hey, thanks for accepting my invitation. Because when you send an invitation on LinkedIn, you're limited to 300 characters. 300 characters. So it's going to be a pithy note that you send along with that invitation. 
once you're linked in with someone and connected with someone, there is no limit to what you can send to them. So following, hey, thanks for accepting my invitation. Per my note, I'm a senior at Miami. I'm really interested in Coke. I've attached my resume because now you can attach something on LinkedIn. Right. I've attached my resume to this. I'd really appreciate five minutes of your time to learn more about how your path got there. Well, and also very important on the follow-up because I do get a lot of inquiries on LinkedIn myself is just accepting the invitation. Then if they don't reach out to me and then are they expecting me to reach out to them, right? right. So exactly. I'm not going to do that. You are asking them for a favor. So you have to be the one that follows up. Key important. And then keep the appointment that you've made because I've actually had that happen to me a couple of times where someone makes an appointment and then right. their no-shows, which is bad advice in general. So exactly. we talked about about the people who know what they want to do. What about those students who really aren't sure? Maybe they don't even know what they're ma- going to major in, um, but even if they are, you know, they have a major and they're okay with it, they don't know what their future career is going to look like. What do you, what's your advice for those students? The first thing I would tell those students is don't panic. <laughs> that would be the first thing I would tell those students is don't panic. I do um, in-person presentations all over the country and the audiences are usually parents and students, sons and daughters. And I asked the parents in the room, how many of you parents envisioned what you're doing professionally today when you were the age of your son or daughter? And inevitably, the only hands that go up are doctors. Yeah. So I'm in that club. I graduated Emory University in 1986 as a political science and history major. And you mentioned at the top of the uh, broadcast that I I ran Global Hiring for Bank of America. And if you had told me that I was going to be doing that in 1986, when I threw my cap up upon graduation, I would have told you you were crazy. So the first thing I would tell that student is don't panic. The second thing that I would tell that student is probably look at larger companies. Why do I say that? There's more opportunity in larger companies. You can find within larger organizations and larger companies, we, we talked about marketing before, you can find a position, regardless of the industry, you can find a position in marketing in most large companies, whether it's a manufacturing company, financial services, so on and so forth, retail. Um, so the first thing I would say is I would target a larger company. There's going to be more diversity within that, that company, more specific opportunities. The second thing I would do is I would talk to people that know me, that I would say are successful. Now, let's define success. And they seem happy at what they do, and they can provide financially for their family. That's an oversimplification of successful people. They they seem to enjoy what they do, and they can provide for their families. I'm talking right now about, you know, your, your, your friends, you know, parents or friends of your families. I would sit down with people that know you that are successful and have conversations about them. Learn what they do. They know you and ask them, where do you see me? You know me. You've seen me grow up. You know mm-hmm. me. Where do you see me? And people inevitably are going to send you to places they can help you. Hey, Beth, have right. you thought of marketing? Well, no, I had. I think you'd be great. And oh, by the way, have you looked at Coca-Cola? Right. I'm sending you to Coca-Cola because I can help you. People will inevitably steer you to places they can help you. Why don't you go to Coca-Cola's website? Let me know if you see anything that looks like a fit. We'll go from there. Right. So have conversations with people. Talk to people. I think a lost art is uh, too many people these days have lost the art of communication. And to me, communication means having conversations with folks. What do you do? Explain it to me. What do you see me doing? You know me. And then target larger companies. How important is experience that you're getting while you're in college to getting that first job when you're out of college? So there are things that students can be doing now related to that. Or is it not important? 
Well, uh, it is both. <laughs> so I would interview you mm-hmm. very differently than I would interview your son. Right. Why? You've done a lot of stuff. I'd sit down, Beth, how did you do this? Walk me through your process as you did A to B. What was your methodology doing this? You've got a track record. With no disrespect to your son, with no disrespect to my son, (laughs) (laughs) rising college seniors haven't done a lot in terms of tangible work, an internship experience, but in terms of tangible work experience. So I will interview he or she very differently than I will interview uh, you or a parent. Mm -hmm. And so I'm literally looking at attributes. I said communication before, so analytical skills, communication, teamwork, leadership. Those are the things that you want to articulate because you can't articulate specific things that you've done, although you can talk about internships and so on and so forth, like I said. But again, getting back to my original point, I'm going to interview you very differently than I'm right. going to interview your son. So I'm interviewing your son or folks you know, that are listening to us today on softer skills, right, behavioral-based mm-hmm. skills. And then once the... Uh, candidate has established, yeah, that he or she has these attributes, if you will, then they're going to have choices. So the next thing that they should be thinking about as they interview with a company is they've set the agenda. Hey, I'm good. I have the skills that you're looking for. They would never say this, obviously. But the next thing they should be saying is, and here's why I want to work for your company. I want to work in the widget space. You guys are number one in the widget space. When earnings season for widgets come out, everybody waits for you to declare how you did. And oh, by the way, your culture, your values match what I'm aligned with, your commitment to environmental sustainability, and net, talking about specific things from a value and cultural standpoint that work for that company, right? And weaving it into your story. Right. So I want to work in the widget space. I want to work for the best. Why do I want to work for the best? Because I can learn from the best. You guys are the best. I want to be surrounded by that so I can continue to learn. Okay, right. I can and, and that's all made much easier now by the from the internet, right? Because back in the dark ages, when I was interviewing for uh, positions at companies, it was really difficult to dig in too much and learn all that much about the college. You really had to, you know, find people to talk to and ask about and see what you could gather. But now it's all right there on your phone, right. not yeah, even exactly. on your computer. It, it, and right? I'm going to say, I have clients that are getting ready for interviews, and, and I say, well, who's interviewing you? Do you have the names? Yes, I do have the names. Well, let's look them up on LinkedIn. Right. And then yep. I have clients who say to me, well, they're going to see I've looked them up on LinkedIn because you can see who sees your profile. Right. And I say, great. I liked when people, when I was interviewing a young person, and he or she, I could see that John Jones has viewed your profile. John's doing his homework. Right. And exactly. It says John, everything, right? Exactly. It's right there. And, you know, what you want to see as a potential applicant is I like to, for my clients to interview with either managers that have been at the company for a long time. Beth, how's the company changed and evolved over the time you've been there? How's the right. culture changed? Are you still competing against the same folks that you were? Uh, how's this position changed and evolved? Beth, if we were having this interview 10 years ago, would you be interviewing me for the same things that you're interviewing me today? Or people that have just joined the company. Beth, I went on your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you just joined. What caused you to interrupt a great career at X company to join Y company? What was it that enticed you to join? So really walking into that interview being prepared. Yeah. And what's great about those questions that you just suggested is they're very open-ended and they're not, you aren't getting into the nitty gritty of exactly what they do there. And you're really getting more of a feel. And that's actually going to tell you more about 
what people care about at the company and you'll find out if it resonates with you or if it doesn't. So exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. I love that. Yep. And, and you're really not re- uh, recommending anything all that different from when we talk about the why this college essay that a lot of colleges require where, where we're telling students, you have to go, you have to do your research. What is really appealing to you about this school beyond its name brand, right? What, what courses do you want to take? What are you going to take advantage of when you're there? And it's really the same basic premise when you're um, applying to college yeah Absolutely. i mean applying yep. for for, for yeah, a job you're looking for that right opportunity yep exactly yep. exactly yep. any final thoughts um i mean one thing for me that i like to talk about a lot when people find out what i do and then you know in general in this country we seem to be very 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 obsessed with brand names and in college it's become a lot about selectivity um what are your thoughts about, you know, what's more important, where a student goes to college or what they do while they're there and how they present themselves? It's a little bit of a leading question. <laughs> the, well, the latter. Yeah. Um, the latter. Uh, because I'm, I'm hiring an individual. I'm not hiring a, a college moniker. Right. Okay. I'm, hi- I'm hiring an individual that I, as I said, that really hasn't done anything in terms of tangible results, but I want to invest in he or she. Right. I, I, so, so I'm hiring a person. I'm not hiring a college brand yep. and I'm hiring somebody who's got a diverse experience, who is a good communicator. And oh, by the way, who I think really wants to join my company and is yep. not, I used to tell my teams that I ran, as you mentioned, global staffing organizations of various companies. And, and one thing that I told my teams wherever I work, I don't want to hire people that want to leave what they're doing. I want to hire joiners. I want to people yeah. to hire people that want to join my group. So, you know, as you're as as folks are interviewing off campus, boy, I want to work in this industry. As I said, you guys are number one. I want to work for the best because I want to learn from the best. But I want to learn from work for the best that matches what is important to me from a culture and value point of view. That's you guys. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, who doesn't want to hire that person versus the one who comes in and says, well, don't you want to hire me? I went to XYZ college, which can be the attitude. Oh, I've Um, interviewed those that went to XYZ and they just are, well, you know, tell me what my offer is going to be. Exactly. (laughs) Because I know I'm just that awesome. So that's the vibe that they give off. Exactly. So anyway, if our listeners take away nothing, I really hope that it is that it's, you know, about your child landing in a place where they will be successful and develop those skills, right? Those soft skills you were talking about. Read, write, and think, communicate. If you can do those things, you know, there is a lot of uh, opportunity available to you when you graduate. Well said. Well said. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate you joining today. I enjoyed. Have a happy and healthy new year. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you. Same to you. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about New Year's resolutions around saving for college. I know those of us who maybe haven't saved or uh, meant to save and didn't are feeling like, oh, I didn't do it. Well, it's a new year and a new opportunity. So uh, stick around and we'll talk about it after the break. Hey. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm super excited to welcome my colleague with her nifty new name, Michelle Smoley, formerly Richardson. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Happy New Year to you. Um, Michelle, well, well, one of the things we're talking about is uh, kind of New Year, New Year's resolutions. And um, I think... Uh, a good one is to sort of either reestablish or establish in the first place um, some college savings goals. And Michelle is the perfect person to talk to us about this. Um, she's a former financial aid officer at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine, but she's also a former vice president at Chase Student Loans and Sally May. And so she knows certainly how uh, saving for college can help you avoid having to do too much on the loan side. Um, so I'm excited to have you here to talk about this today. Um, I guess my first question for you is, you know, what advice would you give to families who haven't established a college saving plan? They want to, but for whatever reason, they haven't yet. What's your best advice here? My best advice is very simple. It's just to start. Um, and it's okay to start small. I think it's somewhat challenging when families are looking at the cost of college and, when they look at that price tag, that any type of savings doesn't seem like it could be attainable, regardless of if they start early or later. But, you know, just start and it's okay to start small. Every little bit helps. Right. Even if it's like, you know, a dollar a day or a dollar a week. <laughs> exactly. Just something, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. I I think it's great advice because I also agree that when you look at the number that you imagine that you have to save to pay for college, it's so daunting that you, I think a lot of people just say, well, I'll never be able to save enough. So never mind, I'm not going to do it. But you know, that's obviously not the way to think about it. So with that in mind, um, what are some of the barriers that you see that prevent families from from starting, from getting started? Sure. Um, One of the barriers I often see is just families getting kind of caught up in what type of account to save in. So we do have some, you know, specific education savings accounts, but traditional savings and So a lot of times I'll talk to families and then I'll talk to the same families, maybe two, three years down the road, and they haven't started yet just because they kind of got caught up in what's the best place to to save. Mm -hmm. Um, Another barrier tends to be, you know, that million dollar question of how much to save. Yeah. You know, and, and again, you know, the, the cost can sometimes be prohibited of, of that when you look at that, you know, sticker price. Um, and, you know, another barrier that we often hear from families, too, is, is still that myth of if I save for college, yes. my student isn't going to qualify for need-based financial aid or scholarships. And, you know, notice I said myth. I think we've been, you know, debunking that myth for many, many years now. Um, but really, saving for college is not the, the barrier that families have to qualify for need-based financial aid. It's mostly right. parent income. So saving can only help, not hurt. Right. I just think... Please, I like to say this during many of my segments. If you take away nothing else but this, this would be the thing here. Savings can only help and not hurt. It could never hurt to have money in the bank to help pay for college, especially because the financial aid formula is focused on income much more so than savings. So can only help. Can't hurt. Please (laughs) take that away. All right. Um, so with that in mind, you mentioned that there's a number of savings plans out there and that one of the things people struggle with sometimes is choosing one. So what are the options and maybe a little bit about what might be right for some families? Sure. So let me start with kind of the education specific types of accounts. Um, families may have heard of the very popular 529 plans or maybe a Coverdell education savings account. Um, There's a few more restrictions with the Coverdell. So typically the 529 plan um, has a lot more flexibility and it's not limited on the amount you can save per year. Um, And you have flexibility with what types of schools um, and who within the immediate family can use that account. Um, So, the good thing about 529 plans and Coverdells is they're a tax advantage plan. So um, unfortunately, we always have to tell families there's no pre-tax way to save for college. Right. Um, but one of the ways to get a tax advantage with a 529 um, or using a Coverdell and that advantage is you're not paying any 
interest, any, excuse me, any federal uh, tax liability on the earnings right. of those accounts. Uh, you know, there's also the traditional type of, of banking accounts that sometimes people don't think of. There's no tax advantage, but just starting a savings account or a, a certificate of deposit, a money, high yield money market account, um, you know, you can use those types of accounts also. One thing I want to mention, kind of the difference between 529s and the other traditional types of banking it accounts is um, if the 529 plan is funded by the parents, it's treated more favorably in the need-based financial aid formula as opposed to custodial accounts that are in you know, the student's name. Right. Um, and another option for some families that they don't think about is a Roth IRA. Um, you can use a, a Roth IRA. Yes, you're contributing post-tax dollars, but you can withdraw any contribution <coughs> for the age of 59 and a half uh, for college or any other reason without tax or, or penalty. So sometimes when families are worried about oh, I, I'm going to save too much in a 529 plan because my, my student's going to get a big scholarship um, is sometimes something that we hear. And, and oftentimes, too, is kind of a another barrier is they think they're going to save too much. And in the 25 years I've been in this um, industry, I kind of have yet to see a family that has ever saved too much for college. Right, right. I, I mean, the point you make is a good one, though, right? Like, you could save in a 529, but you do have to use those funds to spend on education. So if you're worried that you're saving too much, right, you could do a 529 and then save more in like a Roth IRA where you can use that those funds for whatever you want to use them for without penalty, regardless. And that would be a way to avoid saving too much, which, like you say, is a rarity, right? Exactly, exactly. And it kind of goes back to the the topic of, you know, reassessing your goals and, and you know, establishing your savings, uh, college savings plan. So if you are getting to maybe a goal and you're like, ooh, maybe we're starting to save too much in that type of account, by all means, diversify. Right. So actually, that leads to the next one, which is, you know, what should you think about when you're setting the goals? Um, why is that important? And then, you know, how should you be thinking about what the goals are that you, you want to set for yourself? Sure. You know, a lot of times when we talk about setting any type of financial goal, you'll hear about a short-term goal, which is, you know, typically a year or less, um, and maybe long longer-term goals, which are, you know, five years or, or more. I think it's important for families who are maybe just starting to set a short-term goal for one year and and then again reassess so just pick an account pick a dollar amount put anything extra that you can in that account and see where you're at at the end of the year um and you know you could start with a goal of a thousand dollars a year um and when you meet that goal you get more motivated to start saving more um, you know, there's a huge psychological effect of whether you're paying off debt or whether you're saving and you're meeting those goals, um, having those little attainable 
um, short-term uh, goals can be really helpful with still having that longer-term goal uh, in the end. But again, I think focusing on the short-term is better because people look at the long-term and then it just, again, seems like it's so far out there, um, whether it's time-wise or whether it's just, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, I got to find another place to uh, put our money um, and save. So definitely, you know, start with a plan, start with a short-term goal with a longer-term goal, you know, as you continue to assess each year. Right, right. right. If you start with a short-term plan of $1,000 and then the next year you save $2,000 and now the next year you've got you've got $3,000, maybe you start making a longer-term plan of, well, maybe we can get to $10,000 in the next five years or something, right? It can build on itself. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that psychological piece is so real. I just think about when I'm able to save money and have been for my son's um, college, just how good it felt to reach that first goal and how it empowered me or motivated me is probably a better word to, to use to just save a little bit more the next year. And, and it really did build on itself. So uh, anecdotal for me, but I believe that that's um, psychologically really uh, helpful to families. Um for families who've already started, so they, they have started saving, um, what are some ways for them to kind of reassess their current plan as we're, you know, opening up the new year? Sure. Um, I think looking at maybe a, col- a saving for college calculator can be very helpful. Um, the calculator I like to use a lot is on the website savingforcollege.com, um, and it allows for you to have an inflation rate for the cost of college. It allows you to determine kind of rate of return. You can put in there the amount you currently have. And if you are doing, you know, monthly uh, contributions or annual contributions, then you can kind of see what percentage of your goal or the cost of a four-year public education or four-year private education or two-year that you know, how close are you to kind of the the dollar amount based on those um, assumptions? Also, I think to maybe reassess, if you've already have a savings plan, reassessing, you know, what type of plan you have and the amount in it. Again, maybe you need to reassess your longer term goal because of the inflation, you know, area cost mm-hmm. of uh, education. And so maybe what you thought five years ago was going to be a good goal, maybe based on what you want to save for your child or or children, you might need to increase that um, or readjust. So I think for families who have already started, um, congratulations and, and good for you. And, you know, it's always a good thing to kind of reevaluate this every year, whether it's at the the beginning of the year or whatever, you know, timeline you have within your family, but um, don't just set it and forget it. Well, right. Because I think the other big thing too, is that what you've saved, where you're at should also impact your students' college search, right? Because, you know, you have to be realistic about what you can actually afford, 
what it might mean if they apply to X school and maybe they get some financial aid, but even with financial aid, how much it's going to still cost you. Um, Schools, you know, one thing that I did when my son was looking at schools is uh, I was pretty sure we weren't going to qualify for financial aid. So we really, he really focused on schools that had merit aid. And I say we mostly because I brought to him options that I knew offered merit that I thought he might qualify for. And I was really realistic with him. And I said, this is what I can afford. And um, at this school, they do have merit, but even with their best merit award, it's still going to be more than I can afford. So we probably, you probably shouldn't apply to that school. But these schools, even if you don't get any merit, we could probably still swing it. And to me, that feels like such a lost piece of the process with many families where it's sort of the sky is the limit, apply wherever, and then get in and only to discover, wow, we can really only afford this one school, or you let your child get their heart set on a school that requires you all to go into a ton of debt. And while that wasn't what you planned, we do find a number of parents who sort of feel like, well, I can't say no now. I have thoughts about that, but even, either way, mm-hmm. why let yourself get to that point, right? Be much more realistic right from the beginning. Absolutely. I think, you know, just to piggyback off that is we're speaking with families now who maybe did early decision, early action. They might have gotten into their school and now they're scrambling for scholarships yeah. because they didn't qualify for need-based, they didn't save, or they didn't save enough and uh, to cover a significant portion. And so now they're kind of scrambling. And, right. and in the end, they will probably end up, a lot of them will have to borrow. Yeah, right. Who maybe didn't want to borrow. And I could tell you, you're doing it wrong if you're looking for scholarship dollars after you've committed to a college. That is, it's got it. You've got to flip that, that order. So absolutely, Michelle, any final thoughts, anything we didn't cover about this topic or we got it? I think we got it. I think, you know, in short, again, kind of to reiterate what you said, if you take away a couple things from this segment, just start to save for college. It's okay to start small and it will only help not hinder your student's journey to to college wherever they go. Yes. Love it. Thank you so much, Michelle. Appreciate your time today. You're welcome. Take care. All right. We are going to um, go to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about how admissions officers read files. Going to give some insight, courtesy of a couple of former admissions officers, me included. So don't go away. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. 
Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Our third segment of the show might be the one you all have been waiting for. I don't know. I personally have been waiting for this segment. They've all been great, though. And this one is offering a little bit of insight into how admissions officers read files. Uh, I find that people are super interested in this piece because, you know, who knows what happens when you press submit on a college application and it flies through the uh, interwebs and lands in someone's college admissions office, what happens when you get there. And so my colleague, Brittany Preston, who's a former admissions officer at University of Colorado Boulder, at Gonzaga, at Simpson, and at Oregon State Cascades, so has a very broad perspective on having read files, is here to join us then and talk to us about that. Uh, so welcome, Brittany. Thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Okay. So as we just listed off, you've read files at four different undergraduate colleges and actually a graduate school as well, which we didn't mention. Um, And I'm curious, was the process the same at all of them? Was it different at all of them? Yeah, great question. You know, a lot of things were the same. I would say the mechanics were the same. Everywhere I worked took a very holistic approach, which for our listeners, that means your application isn't going in and cutting you off based on GPA. We're looking at a lot of different factors from your activities to your essays to your, you know, extracurriculars and in your letters of rec. Um, But the biggest differences were how quickly we reviewed a file, how important certain factors were and how much we scrutinize those factors, a lot having to do with selectivity, which I'm sure we'll get into. But, you know, transcript was important everywhere I worked. Um, The way we kind of went through a sequence of looking at the factors was all very, very similar. So it was easy to go office to office because I just had to learn what were the specifics that they were honing in on. Right. So actually, let's talk about that a little bit. The, um, you know, the individual pieces of the application, 
It sounds like even the order that you went through the pieces might have been similar. I'll be curious as you walk us through your order, if it matches the order at Penn, but I'm I'm almost 99.9% positive that the very first thing you do is the very first thing that every admissions office does, and that's look at the transcript. Is that true? That is one of the first things I look at. Um, What our listeners may not know is a lot of colleges have like a cover sheet. So actually, I looked at that first because it gave me an introduction to the the student. And it's funny, I started early enough that they were paper files. So we literally had a paper (laughs) stapled. Um, But now it's an electronic system and we were able to pull up. But that gave me an overview of where are they from? What high school do they go to? It pulled a lot of the information from the Common App, but then presented a GPA. But then, yes, immediately I went to the transcript because Honestly, I could read the best essay in the world, but if they didn't meet my academic standards, they weren't going to get in. And I may may have spent a little bit less time on their application. Right, right. As a result. So when you're looking at the transcript, what are you focusing on on that piece of paper? Or that file, electronic file. (laughs) So some universities I worked at, we had high acceptance rates. I worked at some big state publics where we were admitting 80% of the students who applied. So immediately I went to the GPA and then I would look, you know, at the grade trends. What were the flow of grades? What were the rigor of classes? Some students were a clear admit and I might move really quickly at those schools. For some of the more selective schools I looked at, we might be looking at specific classes. So I'd begin to get in the weeds a little bit more. Oh, you're applying to engineering. I'm going to immediately look at what level of math you got to. I'm going to look at, did you take physics? I'm also going to look how you were doing in English and history and how were you a well-rounded student? I'm going to look at the rigor of the classes. So how many AP classes or IB classes you took within the context of your high school. Um, One of the universities I worked at, we worked with a lot of small rural schools in Iowa and they didn't have AP. They didn't have a huge list. And so we didn't punish a student for that. Um, But I definitely looked at, you know, how many A's and B's, where were the weak spots? You know, some students have that one grade that just haunts them for years to come. But, you know, it was a learning opportunity and how did they bounce back from that? Um, But a lot of families think oh, they're just looking at GPA. But no, we were looking at the printed copy of the transcript going class by class, grade by grade, and looking at the whole culmination of the academic record. Right. And at Penn, a GPA was virtually irrelevant to the process because we were going exactly the way you just described. And of course, at Penn, the expectation was that students were in the most rigorous curriculum available to them um, and that they were doing extraordinarily well across the board in all of their courses. And while we would definitely look a little extra closely at math and science for a student who wanted engineering, for example, or maybe at English and history for a student who was focused on um, English or history as a major, um, we were still expecting excellence across the board. And that was simply a result 
of having far too many qualified applicants um, and far too few spots for all of them. So I think it's fair to say that the more selective you get, the more scrutiny that uh, transcript is going to be under. Um, Absolutely. But of course, in all cases, obviously at some of the schools that you worked at, the transcript was pretty much enough. And would you still review the rest of the application? Um, you know, how did that work for the students who easily made the cut? Yeah, so at those institutions where we were admitting the majority of students, we did still read every piece of the application. So yeah. we would quickly read through the essay, quickly look at the activities, mainly looking for red flags. Yeah. You know, if there was a student that we had some concerns or clearly was kind of mocking us, that could impact their admission decision in some way. So it was quicker, but we did still look at every piece of the application. Right. You want to make sure you're not admitting a student who says in their essay, I'm only applying because you're a safety and my parents are making me or something right. like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So take it seriously. Yeah. Um, all right, so after the transcript, what, what pieces were you turning to next uh, in the application? Yeah, after the transcript, I'd kind of go through the Common App. So looking at the activity list and some of the quick facts, digging into the weeds on the background. But I, I was an essay lover, so I moved pretty quickly to the essay because I had a background on the student. I understood their academic preparation. Now I want to meet them. Now I want to know what makes them tick. And the essay was their voice. Um, and what's amazing is, think about it, your Common App essay is going to your highly selective reach schools, but it's all also go into your backups. We're all reading the same essay and that's how we're getting to know you. And so that was an important piece. Um, so I usually move to those pieces to get to know the student outside of the classroom. So interestingly enough, when I was at Penn, I, I actually read the essays last. Oh, interesting. And so you could argue that at the end of the day, the make or break point came for those students who were sort of looking really competitive up to that point. Now is their time to, like you say, now it's time to actually meet the student in their own words. Mm -hmm. And that was where some students absolutely cemented their case. And I thought, oh, I love this kid. I can't wait to advocate for this student in committee. Or I thought, oh, wow, that's unfortunate. I wish they had spent more time on this or written about something different or, you know, any number of things when the essays really failed to hit the mark. So they weren't going to get in or not get in because of the essay. It was really everything that came before. But you certainly could, you know, make a better case for yourself or the reverse, depending on the quality of the essay. So yeah. it is interesting, um, the different order um, sometimes that that I think, and I am not convinced that all of my colleagues read in the same way. That was just the order that I ended up. And our reader rating, reader rating card did have the essay piece last. So I just kind of followed that piece. Yeah, um, I'm kind of the same. I, I follow the rhythm, follow, you know, what the, the score sheet said. But I had colleagues who started with the essay because they wanted to meet the student. But for me, I kind of started with the the big picture. Right. You don't want to fall in love if the big no. picture is, <laughs> is going to be a really difficult uh, to, to overcome. So after you read the transcript and you read the essays, what came next for you? Then I'd usually go to like letters of recommendation and some of those other supplemental pieces. Um, and, you know, over the years, I saw some fabulous letters of recommendation. And then I saw, you know, a lot that just came across as this is clearly a form letter with a couple quick facts. And right. 
I never punished a student for that because, you know, some of these students are coming from high schools where that science teacher is writing 50 letters of recommendation. Um, But it was amazing if a a letter was clearly personalized and really in-depth about the student it usually just confirmed what I was seeing in the transcript, but it allowed me to hear from somebody else what type of student they were and how right. they were academically prepared for my institution. So, right. And, and I, I'm curious if you would agree that in general, I would say that recommendation letters didn't tend to be particularly brilliantly written, um, but strong ones gave you that information you needed, and that's mostly what you needed from them. Is that fairly Absolutely. accurate? That's yeah. very accurate. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have students who say, well, I'd love to ask my math teacher, but he's not a native speaker, and I don't think he'll be a great writer. And, you know, I, I will often say, well, does he know you? Does he like you? Yes and yes. And so do you think he will put a little bit of time into writing the letter? Yes, I do. Can you give him some things that you would love for him to mention? Yes, I can. Well, then I'm not really worried about how brilliantly written it's going to be if if you are confident that he will write a letter that's going to be pretty supportive of you. Yeah. Um you know, I, I rarely saw that the quality of the letter really impacted the the student, so long as what was in it was helpful. We Seem completely fair? agree. Yeah. And I loved it. A few weeks ago on the podcast, someone said, you know, this process is building a case. I was collecting information. I wasn't collecting negatives of, oh, it was a poorly, right. I, I would have never said it's a poorly written letter. Of course it's not. More, I, you know, the teacher said this, this, and this about the student. That's why I want to admit them. So it's creating that story and creating that case for the student. Yes, I would agree. And then, of course, the elephant in the room, test scores, at what point, but that's part of... Well, tell me, what, at what point are you looking at those? Usually pretty early in the review process. So it usually would have been on that cover sheet that I mentioned right. that kind of gave high levels. Sometimes it's printed right on the transcript so I can see it there. You know, we're in such a unique situation now with test optional. It looked at different. It's looked at differently. But some schools I worked at, if you didn't have a certain score, you really kind of fell in the deny pile immediately because of that score. Whereas others, we really used all the pieces. And even if the score was low, I could make a case for that student and be admitted. It just depended on the academic program. It depended on the school. Got it. All right. Um, We have another minute or two. So um, we've kind of talked about going through the different pieces of the file. And what I would love for our listeners to take away is that regardless of selectivity, they were looking at the whole file. So they were going to go through every piece. So keep that in mind. Um, But now it's time to make a decision. Um, And I'm guessing that the way decisions were made probably were different, was different from school to school. So what were some of the different ways in which the final decision got made at your schools? Yeah, when I thought about differences, this is one of the key differences between places I worked. You know, sometimes I was a 24-year-old and I got to press an admit button or a deny button. I got to make that decision. Other schools, we made recommendations and the dean would make the decision. Or the dean might come back and say, we need to deny more students or admit more students. Um, Other situations, we'd go into a committee room. So maybe one or two readers had made a recommendation. We're going to talk about the students together. So there's a huge variety in who gets to make that final call. Um, and I, I saw a little bit of it all. So. Right. And I would say at places like Penn and at other, like the more selective you get, typically, the more people are involved in the decision making process. So Absolutely. the likelihood that a 24 year old is saying yeah. yes, and that's all that's happening 
is less becomes less and less likely the more selective the the schools that you're looking at the more selective the more scrutiny the more kind of in the weeds they get which is kind of what you want right Mm -hmm. so if those spots are harder to come by you want people to be taking a closer look Um, Brittany, thank you so much for joining today i really appreciate it my pleasure pleasure to be here have a great day all right you too so thanks to Brittany. thanks to all of our guests today all of my guests today next week sally is going to be here and she's going to be your host um we're actually going to welcome a student to the show who is in a conservatory setting and so we're going to get that conservatory student experience um we're also going to welcome a college coach employee who does our ux design um and tell us he's going to tell us a little bit more about his path to that career um And then in another of our New Year's resolution pieces, we're going to be talking about debt, debt management tips. um, So you're not going to want to miss that. And also, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Again, the more we get, the easier it is for others to find us. Maybe that could be a New Year's resolution. I will review the podcasts that I listen to regularly. And this is one of them. So don't forget us. Um, And then if you have questions, you can send them to us on Facebook, um, via Instagram. You can follow us at at CollegeCoachBH, or you could email those in to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Don't forget, we're here every Thursday at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.